Hello, and welcome to One Single Thought, the podcast where two Christian single women take theological deep dives and bring perspectives on life, mixed with levity and joy. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 41 of One Single Thought. How are you today, Heather? I'm great. That's good. Well, we mentioned a couple of episodes ago in our first episode of 2024 that one of our new podcast features that we were going to do would be to provide overviews of the of different books of the Bible, followed by a future episode that takes a deep dive into a passage from, from that book. We don't have a name for this uh, <laughs> uh, irregular series, but that was the gist of the books of the Bible overviews that we, we wanted to start this year. And we decided for 2024, as we kicked this off, that we wanted to start with the Minor Prophets. So Heather, mm-hmm. why don't you talk a little bit about what are the minor prophets? Who are they? And and kind of how this is going to flow. Yeah, so I think what we need to do first is explain the difference between a minor prophet from a major prophet. And no, it has nothing to do with music. <laughs> <laughs> um, we would sing chords if we were able. If we the were two able, of us, yes. But we're not going to try that. So when you hear this terminology, it's just a way to divide up the Old Testament prophetic books. And I found this... Uh, explanation on gotquestions.org and I will send that to Rose to put in the show notes because I thought it was very helpful. So the major minor prophet terminology has nothing to do with the major prophets being better than the minor prophets or maybe that their writings are more divinely inspired than the minor prophets. The major prophets, their books, so we're talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. The reason they're called the major prophets, the major prophetic books, it's because they're longer in text, that they're just more chapters, and the content has broader implications for the world rather than just focusing in on one specific thing. The minor prophets, on the other hand, are typically shorter in chapters. Obadiah, for example, is only one chapter, and the content has a more specific focus on something. And these prophets are the ones that you you don't study. We don't tend to study very much in the church, the church setting, which I know Dr. Betts wants to change that. Yes. So, uh, but this is the list of the minor prophets. It's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, not Habakkuk, <laughs> Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Sometimes they'll be referred to as the 12, not the 12 disciples, mm. it's the 12 minor prophetic books. And a lot of times in these prophetic books in the Old Testament, we see these themes of warning and condemnation. That's pretty much throughout all of them. But we'll also see some prophecies of a future hope, which is in the coming Messiah. So you'll hear about Christ's birth, which is in Isaiah and in Micah. You'll hear about Christ's atoning sacrifice in Isaiah. You'll hear about Christ's return in Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. In all of these prophets, you're going to see God's holiness, his wrath, his grace, and his mercy mentioned. And of course, it doesn't mention Christ specifically. It doesn't mention Jesus Christ, quote unquote, in these prophetic books, but it's all foreshadowing the coming Messiah. And when you read the New Testament, you can look back and the New Testament actually quotes the Old Testament, these Old Testament prophets, so you can actually see where these prophecies were. If you have a good study Bible, they'll actually 
footnote it so you can go back and look and it'll say go back to Isaiah 53 you'll go back there and it'll show you where that is because we both feel that the Old Testament prophets are probably among the most neglected books in the Bible yeah. I would agree yeah yes, absolutely and particularly these minor prophets we want to take a look at those books and help us all have a better understanding because I've read them I can say I've read them all, but I have not done a deep study of them. <laughs> and we're not going to do a deep study. I think I've mentioned this before. We're not going to do a deep study on these books. We're only going to do this in one or two episodes for each book. Um, but we're just wanting to clear up a little bit of the confusion around them and help you understand the prophets and their individual messages within the larger context of Scripture. Again, we're not going to do a deep exegesis. We're not going to teach on this necessarily but as rose said we just want to do a short overview of what each of these books are about and then we're going to zero in on a passage to discuss more fully so for example today we're going to talk about jonah so we'll give you an overview of jonah and then in the next episode we're going to look at a specific passage just a little bit deeper we're going to try also to do do our best to discuss them in the order according to when they fell in the timeline of the Old Testament, the chronology of the Old Testament. Although we realize there's some debate on when different prophets, if you look it up, different people will say different things of when things occurred. So if you are an Old Testament scholar, please be gracious with us. We're going off the best we can, <laughs> the information we've got. So we're going to start today with the book of Jonah, as I said, and we, we understand that this one is probably the earliest of the minor prophets and we're going to expand on our one single thought in a bit but for this episode on jonah we chose rebel with a cause rebel with a cause okay rose let's begin with the author of jonah the book and some background of the book we don't really know who authored jonah the book jonah that's unknown but the interesting thing about the book of Jonah is that most books that are written, uh, the ones, all that you mentioned, the major and minor prophets, mm -hmm. are typically, typically include the words that the Lord gave to the prophets. But Jonah is different in that it's actually a narrative about Jonah instead of about mainly the words that the Lord gives him. So to give a timeline on the year-to-year -year timeline, this story of Jonah occurred most likely around 750 BC. And Jonah was not really known as the best prophet, to be mm -hmm. honest. In the, He first shows up in 2 Kings. King Jeroboam II was one of the worst kings, and we know that really none of the kings of Israel were good kings. But he was, you know, known as one of the worst. And mm -hmm. when Jonah first appears in scripture, it's in second Kings and he is prophesying in the fate in, in favor of the King saying that you're going to get your territories back. God's going to show favor on you and all of that. And then Amos follows up and comes and says and reverses the prophecy. So that's really the first time that we, we see Jonah in scripture prior to the book. <clears throat> that's a narrative about his, uh, about this time of his life. Heather mentioned earlier that we, there's a little debate in our research on chronologically which minor prophet came first. And a lot of this, of the places where we researched either showed Jonah or they showed Amos. So that really made a little more sense to me because they both were, you know, around during the time of King Jeroboam II. And so there probably is a little 
Mm -hmm. um, difference there. Dr. Betts wrote, uh, didn't he write one of his books on anus? So we probably could Mm -hmm. ask him and he would know. So a lot of people have questioned, is this really historical or is this a parable? Because the people who lean on the side of this is really just a parable talk about all the kind of major events, kind of fantastic events, the exaggerated size of Nineveh, the fact that Jonah is swallowed by a big fish, the appearance, and we'll talk about a lot of this later, appearance of a tree and then appearance of a worm who kills the tree and just things that were all could be seemingly make it sound like it's a parable and not history. But there's actually four areas where scholars believe that this is truly historical. For one, Jonah was a real historical figure. Mm -hmm. Um, We see that in the actual history, not just in biblical history. One, you know, Jonah's just one of the 12 minor prophets, as Heather listed earlier, and all of the other ones are historical. So the the conclusion would be that if all of the minor prophets, if, tw- if 11 of the 12 are historical, chances are all 12 are historical. Mm-hmm. And something that if you believe in God and the power of God, none of those miracles that happen in that book, like Jonah being tossed overboard, surviving, getting swallowed by fish, None of those things are really impossible for the God of the Bible that we know as our creator. And maybe one that really speaks volumes to me is the fourth one, which Jesus spoke of Jonah in the fish and the repentance of the Ninevites in the New Testament as if those were real events. So I'm going to read Matthew 12, 41, where Jesus states this very thing It says, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching and look, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus actually used that. We know that we believe the Bible teaches us that Jesus is God. And so he he teaches and speaks and refers to Jonah just like he did Job, which we have discussed in the past as a true historical character. So uh, there are debates um, either way, but I think there's more valid evidence that Jonah is a real historical figure. Uh, I also think that, you know, that, to be quite honest, whether it is or isn't, there's Mm -hmm. a message here for us. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's, we know it has been preserved in the canon of scripture. And so it definitely is, is inspired word of God. Heather, how do we get started in Jonah? What happens in chapter one? Jonah is a prophet of the Lord, as we've mentioned. And God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria at the time, which is one of Israel's enemies, to go to Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come up before before me or before God. So God's telling Jonah to go out and to proclaim that destruction is coming to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. We don't really know what the reason was for his rebellion, but he decides, I don't want to stick around and do this. I I don't want to obey. I want to, I don't know if it was fear or what it was, or he was just being stubborn, but he runs off, tries to run away from the Lord, which we know you can't really run away from the Lord. (laughs) But he goes to Joppa, gets on aboard a ship that's going to this port of Tarshish, which was out in the Mediterranean. So he's getting ready to go out there. And 
God sends a storm to stop Jonah from running off (laughs) or sailing off. The storm comes. The sailors cast lots to figure out. We talked about casting lots last time. Yes. To figure out what is the source of this problem. They realize that Jonah is the the source of this problem. (laughs) What this, this big storm that's come. And they do everything they can to keep the ship afloat during this crazy storm Jonah says, the only way this is going to be rectified is if you throw me overboard. And so they throw him overboard. They repent and begin to worship God. So these sailors who were not followers of the one true God, they are now worshiping God. And at that moment, God appoints a big fish. The fish had a divine appointment to go and swallow Jonah. So Rose, let's find out what happens in chapter 2. So cliffhanger at the end of chapter one, Jonas (laughs) been swallowed by a big fish and he finds himself in this watery grave of a belly of this fish, which as a child, this story was kind of traumatizing to me a little bit. And I, I was really concerned about why wasn't Jonah actually being eaten by the fish? Like, how did he stay in the belly? And how did he not get digested? Yes. I don't know. You know, you watch all the cartoons and things that, you know, replayed the story and he's bouncing around well, in the stomach. I always pictured it as the Pinocchio movie when Geppetto's in the yes. belly of the whale. Yes. In his boat. And he's, they're just like this big cave almost, mm-hmm. but it's a stomach. I think that's why we we say that Jonah was in a whale because of Pinocchio. That's probably why. I think that's, that'll, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. But... Mm. So chapter two starts with Jonah in this belly of this big fish. And he sort of repents. (laughs) So his prayer is obviously crying out to the Lord. But is it true repentance or is he just finding himself in this calamity and wants to and is crying out to the Lord like get me out of here. I've messed up. Jonah spends three days in the belly of the fish, which is often referenced, and I believe Jesus referenced it in that same scripture, mm-hmm. that, you know, I, the, the son of God would be in the, a tomb the, for three days like Jonah. Mm-hmm. And so many times people feel that that's somewhat of a foreshadowing to um, Christ in the grave. So he spends these three days in the belly of the fish, and then God appoints the fish to vomit him out on dry ground, which had to be gross Mm. because who knows what was in the belly of that big fish. And, you know, when you think about it's not a whale, it could be a whale, it could not be a whale, but obviously it was big enough to swallow him, uh, swallow him whole. Like Mm -hmm. it's not a shark that's like, you know, chewing him up, chewing him up. So, but he comes out on dry ground and that's where we, we end after his long prayer, crying out to the Lord. And then he ends up back on dry ground. So Heather, what happens in chapter three? Well, he's back on land and I'm sure he was pretty slimy. Yeah. (laughs) God tells him again to go to Nineveh. So obey me, like I told you originally. And Jonah finally complies and goes to Nineveh to proclaim this message and his sermon is very short it says 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned so you can just imagine him walking up and down the streets of Nineveh shouting this out and so this rebellious prophet is preaching the shortest sermon and 
it doesn't even mention God, but it's implied that that's what's going to happen. That God is going to overthrow this city. And as a result, the people hear this and they are terrified and they believe it. They believe this message. They proclaim a fast. Um, everybody in the town, including all the livestock, so even the cows, they have sackcloth on. and They're all wearing this and uh, in repentance. And it goes to, it even reaches the king, this warning. And so the king also does this. He covers himself with sackcloth and sits and sits down in the dust. And that's what it says here in, in verse, in chapter three, verse six, that he assumes a position of mourning basically. And he issues this proclamation that nobody, no animals, people, everyone should be fasting from eating and drinking. Everyone should be covered in sackcloth. Everyone should call on God and repent give up their wicked ways, and maybe God will relent from this horrible thing he's about to do. And so the people here are genuinely repentant. They are repenting of this, their wickedness, and they are asking God to spare them of this disaster. And so it says in verse 10 that when God sees what they're doing and how they're re repenting, he relents and does not bring the destruction that he had threatened upon them. So he is essentially forgiven them and decided not to destroy their city. Heather, Heather, do you think that Jonah, I mean, do you think he really had the right spirit given his short, kind of sassy sermon? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. I wish it doesn't really tell us what was in Jonah's head very much no. other than his prayer chapter and in, in the fish in chapter two. Mm -hmm. But I wonder he agrees to go do it. And he's like, okay, well, now I'm going to go and tell these people what up. And then I'm going to watch them burn. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder, you know, we don't really know. And I know you're going to explain more about chapter four in a second. But he gets so upset when they're forgiven. Don't really know what's in his head. But it does make you wonder if part of it was because he was w wanting to see them be punished. Right. I feel like he didn't really want to spend much time really evangelizing Nineveh. I think he's like, okay, God told me to do this, and here's the thing. You're going to burn, and, yeah. you know, just, I'm done. I'm just done, so have a nice scorched life. <laughs> I think as I studied uh, through Jonah, it just made me really realize, you know, kind of his whole attitude and motive here. Mm -hmm. So what about chapter four? How does it wrap everything up? So chapter four, Jonah actually prays his second prayer, and it does this time around, he's angry at God. He wanted God to kill him on the spot, which is pretty drastic. Jonah is mad that God would forgive his enemies. So he is mad that God didn't just light a fire on Nineveh and burn it down. He does not understand why God would forgive those that are opposed to God. Mm -hmm. So in the midst of this, God provides this plant to give shade to Jonah. And he's sitting under the plant. But then the very next day, God appoints a worm to come. The worm attacks the plant and the plant dies. And then Jonah is now out in the heat with the sun beating down on him. And once again, Jonah asks God, you know, let, let me die. Well, then Jonah was angry that the plant died and that the scorching heat was, you know, burning down on him. And Jonah's last words in the book were a response to God asking, were you angry that this plant is died? I'm paraphrasing, of course. Mm -hmm. And Jonah's words were, yes, I'm angry enough over the plant to die. So not only was Jonah in a bad way, but he let this 
this host, every little circumstance got under his skin, even a plant dying because mm. nothing was going his way. So God ends chapter four and the end of the book. I think it's probably one of the most interesting endings mm -hmm. to a narrative story. God told Jonah, he said, you know, Jonah, you cared so much about a plant that you didn't even work and labor for it to grow. Yet should not care more about the great city of Nineveh. And earlier in the book, it mentions how big of a city it was. And uh, when he went to preach in Nineveh, I think in chapter three, it talks about how long it took to walk it. And it was just a lot. Um, mm -hmm. It was it was a vast city. And that's how God ended. And Jonah doesn't respond to that question. That's just the end of, of the book. Mm -hmm. So it is a little bit kind of like a cliffhanger in its own way. Because yeah. we don't know how Jonah responded, but God God really used that whole episode with the plant to get his point across that he cared for and he loved the the people of Nineveh. So Heather, this is kind of a quirky a quirky book, a quirky minor prophet mm -hmm. in a way. It's a kind of a fantastical story or account. So what what's really the message we're to learn from Jonah? There are some key themes here in this book that we can learn from. So first of all is that God is in sovereign control over nature, over the world. So looking at what God did throughout the four chapters to bring about his plan, he causes a storm to stop Jonah in his tracks. He causes a fish. He appoints a fish. He appoints a storm. He appoints a fish <laughs> to come swallow Jonah and stop Jonah in his tracks. <laughs> uh, he also raises up a plant. He appoints a plant to grow and cover Jonah. Then he appoints the this worm to come and kill the plant. And he appoints a wind to come and uh, scorch Jonah's head. So mm -hmm. God is in control over nature. He's in control over... There's nothing Jonah could do to stop God's plan. Also, another theme is God, God's determination to proclaim his message to the nations, basically telling them, you know, if you don't repent, you're going to meet destruction. That's the message, but then also the message of salvation, that there is forgiveness when you come to repentance. And then also this, uh, the theme of repenting from sin in general. So we see that in the Ninevites and how they repented from their sin and then specifically repenting from selfishness and hypocrisy, which we see in Jonah and whatever it was that made him run the first time, you could see that he somewhat repented, but we don't see him repent in the end, but I would hope that he did after all he went through with the plant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but so repentance is a theme. And then also that God will show mercy and forgive people when they repent. So no matter who you are or what you've done, you can be part of the wicked nation of Assyria back then, which was one of Israel's enemies and eventually took Israel into captivity. Or, you know, you could be a squeaky clean person on the outside, but having all these other things you're dealing with on your in your heart and in your mind that are not glorifying to God. We're, we're all sinners, and that's the point there. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Side note, Apostle Paul mentions how he... We see that in the New Testament, that he was um, known for murdering Christians before he became a Christian himself. So he was the worst of the worst, and God saved him. So no one is beyond God's reach. And 
that's going kind of going back to Jonah's selfishness that we should rejoice in the salvation of anyone that comes to Christ. So we have no right to be pouty over who might come to the Lord for whatever reason. I don't know what Jonah's problem was. If it's he just wanted to see them get their just desserts or if he was um, if there was some kind of national prejudice there or what what it was that made Jonah so angry. But really we should rejoice when anyone comes to Christ, comes to salvation, anyone turns from sin. We are not allowed to pick and choose who receives that gift of salvation. So those are the main themes. And so we're looking at Jonah who rebelled from the Lord, tried to run, but he had a a specific purpose in his life to fulfill it. That's why we decided on our one single thought as rebel with the cause, because he was definitely a rebel Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of him trying to rebel from God's plan. And he had a purpose that he did not want to follow through on, but he did because he realized he can't, he can't run. And um, he had to be obedient in what, what God wanted him to do. It's interesting too, about how much God was with Jonah through all this, Mm -hmm. no matter how much he rebelled, Mm -hmm. no matter how far he ran, God was always right there. And I think that's a good lesson for us that, you know, God Mm -hmm. pursues us. He comes after us. And even when we continually rebel over and over and over, it doesn't cause God to go away. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Rose, do you have a one random thought that goes with the book of Jonah? Sort of. Okay. My one random thought is stop the madness, <laughs> which is probably what I'm sure if you know if God <laughs> wanted to say it, could have said to, to Jonah, stop the madness. Come on. The Journal of Pediatrics conducted a research, conducted research on toddlers and observed 330 temper tantrums that toddlers threw and they discovered through their research that the average length of a temper tantrum is three and a half minutes three and a half minutes is really a long time if you're dealing with the toddler that's having a temper tantrum I mean, I just know three and a half minutes is a long time when I'm timed in my PT on walking for six minutes and that feels like eternity so i can't imagine walking for three and a half minutes and listening to a toddler have a temper tantrum the whole time oh man typically after about 30 seconds if i'm out in a a store and i hear a kid screaming i'm ready to go over and take care of it myself so much like jonah who seemed to continue he might not have thrown a temper tantrum but obviously he just kept running and he needed to just stop the madness yeah, yeah, that's probably why I'm single because, <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I was at the library today and there was a kid in there having a temper tantrum in the library where we're supposed to be quiet and I thought I was going to crawl out of my skin, so I'm probably, yeah, I'm probably not meant for <laughs> small children. Listen, yeah. if I acted like that when I was a kid, my dad would have, I don't even want to think about what my dad, I didn't have enough courage and boldness to act that way so Mm. well we could get into discipline of children but it's probably not our (laughs) our wheelhouse so we'll move on heather what is your ricky thought well i found one that kind of goes with the pouty the pouty theme nice and i couldn't think of a good way to word it i think this is more of what ricky's actually thinking but it's just i'm a whiny butt (laughs) (laughs) 
That's true. I think that's a good one. That is very Jonah-like. Yes. The reason I chose this one is because when Ricky wants something he has learned, and I don't know how cats know this. I don't know if it's something instinctual with cats. I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of it. I've heard that they're domesticated over centuries and they figured humans out and they just know what works to manipulate them. (laughs) But whenever he, you know, I'll give him his breakfast or whatever and I'll put it down and if he decides he doesn't want it or he wants me to put dry food on top of it, yes, I've spoiled him a little bit. (laughs) He will come over to me and go, (laughs) and just look at you. And just sit there and stare at me. And then go, ah. <laughs> Like you know what he wants. <laughs> it, is, it is very exasperating. It's, it's like having a small child. Yes, that never grows And up. I don't know how they know how to, how cats know that works. But it works. And it's very annoying. Mm. <laughs> Ricky, he knows what's up. He knows what's so up. So I call him a whiny butt. That's what he is. Yes, he's a little Jonah. Maybe he's, you know, maybe that should be his middle name, <laughs> Ricky Jonah. All right, well, let's move on to our one single question. Our one single question today is, what passage in the book of Jonah has always stood out to you? I think chapter three, especially the, it's always struck me how Nineveh is so quickly moved to repentance because if you know anything about Nineveh, you know, like I said earlier, that's the capital city of Assyria, which is one of Israel's chief enemies. And they, you know, this was not a God-fearing nation. This was essentially pagan and a very powerful nation, Assyria was. And so Nineveh is this capital of the empire. And the fact that they are so moved by this message from Jonah to repent from the sin it's pretty profound if you think about it. And uh, it would be interesting to know what became of those people. And if it was, I mean, in that moment, obviously it was true repentance, but I wonder how long it lasted. And eventually they're punished for what they've done to Israel. But mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to, to kind of know what happens to those people that Jonah had proclaimed and they, they repented. So it'd be interesting. It's kind of like the sailors because they repented as well. Mm-hmm. Which I found to be unusual as also. So it's almost as if God was just really doing everything he could to show Jonah mm-hmm. that, you know, what his power could do in the hearts of the people. Yeah, I mean, it really isn't, no one's beyond God's reach. Anyone mm-hmm. this side of heaven is, no one's outside of the realm of forgiveness unless they've just totally rejected they're not going to repent, but what about you? So my favorite passage is Jonah four ten through 11. I'll read it. It says, and the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. So that's the closing verses of, of the whole book of Jonah. Mm. And it's just, it reminds me a lot of the discourse between Job and God. Mm-hmm. Um, when he would question Job, 
Did you place the lightning bolts in the sky? Do you watch when a gazelle gives birth or, Mm -hmm. you know, all the various things he talked about? I love the way that God just, the Lord just put the question back on, on Jonah. Well, if you can care about something you'd have nothing to do with, I'm not going to care about a great city, which, oh, by the way, God created all these people, more than 120,000 people. Mm -hmm. So I just, I don't know, I like that. And it's kind of cool that, you know, God can just say the words and it just captivate you. Like that, those verses always captivate me that he just makes a statement and it's always a mic drop, you Mm -hmm. know, and. So I just, I just like it. It's an odd way to end a book, but I find it fascinating because it's, it leaves you, at least for me, it leaves me wanting to know more. So yeah, that's my, my favorite passage. Yeah. I I wish that I could, wish we knew what Jonah said in response to that, or if he said anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or we just continued pouting. Yes. I don't know that he was ever, I mean, I don't, he wasn't mentioned again in the Bible, but I don't know if history, obviously there's questionable debates over historical versus a parable, but makes you wonder what happened to him after that. Mm -hmm. Things we will find out one day in heaven if we even care when we get there. Yeah. Okay, well, that's our episode today on an overview of Jonah. We'll be back next week on February 21st to, we're going to, we're going to pick a, passage out of Jonah that maybe we want to look at a little more deeply so we'll do that we'll decide on that this coming weekend get that ready for you and we'll be back on February 21st and until next time don't follow your heart follow God we hope you've enjoyed one single thought our theme music is provided by Lindsay Cook and we're so happy you joined us please be sure to share this episode with a friend and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode We'd love it if you'd rate and review our podcast so more people can find us and join our tribe of listeners. 